This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome in to the Hoist the Colors podcast. I am the host, Stephen Igo, the publisher of HoistTheColors.net. Excited to join you guys. Yet again, for another pregame podcast, uh, still working through some audio issues on our end, so apologize for that. We're trying to makeshift uh, how we record. In the meantime, we're recording through Zoom today, so the audio is probably not quite as crisp as usual, but we'll, we'll make do, and you guys should be able to hear me still. Um, also, fighting through some congestion issues this week, so that's why I'm recording a little later than normal, so it'll probably sound a little off, but here we are. We're doing it. A little more than 24 hours away from kickoff between ECU and Temple. And what do you know? More rain is in the forecast as we head into Saturday, according to weather.com. Again, how accurate are these things more than 24 hours out? I don't know. But uh, they are projecting rain pretty much from tailgating through the end of the game. And uh, 68% chance of rain as of right now at kickoff and a 80% chance of rain up to 7, 8 o'clock. So, of course, you know, it doesn't rain much around here, but apparently it rains every ECU game day. That's a new thing. So that's a little frustrating as it takes away again from another <clears throat> potential great atmosphere. Also takes away from what should be a big recruiting weekend. We posted several of these scheduled official visitor, or, uh, visitors and guys who are scheduled to come in but you know I've, I've done this long enough to know that when the rain comes in it shortens the visit especially from the game day side a lot of guys will come in for the pregame meet and greet stuff and then end up leaving if they don't want to sit through the rain so it hurts that visit experience uh it hurt it on thursday night against south florida it looks like it'll dampen things on saturday unless maybe the rain doesn't hit as projected which we all hope happens because uh this really is your last regular home crowd that you'll get of course you have the cincinnati game at that point the students will be out of town for thanksgiving break so that's a little frustrating so it's it's been a, a string of tough games here you know the houston game where you had the lightning delay the south florida game where it rained the whole time and now this game looks like we'll get wet yet again uh, but on the field, you know, a very interesting matchup between East Carolina and Temple. The Pirates are near 16, 17-point favorites last I checked. You know, we got a lot of questions on the Hoist of Colors message board about what to expect from Temple. And I'll say this, Temple, talent-wise alone, is not should not be a 17-point dog to ECU. They have talent, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. But what is their motivation at this point? They seem to have really – Falling under Rod Carey, just kind of reading between the lines there, reading some of their stuff on the Temple sites and their press conferences. There seems to be a lot of toxicity going on behind the scenes at Temple. Uh, so that could play a factor in terms of their motivation. I do think if, if ECU can jump on them early, which they've really struggled in the first quarter, that's when you can uh, take advantage of their issues and maybe even pull out a blowout. Um, but, you know, a lot has to go right for that to happen. You know, as far as Temple, their motivation, Rod Carey, his job is on the line. I mean, 
they've got to be filled with some pressure. They went one and six last year during the pandemic. They're three and five overall right now. Just one win in conference play for Memphis. They lost by 20 at South Florida. They've gotten blown out four or five times now. So they have been uncompetitive in a lot of games, and that will get you fired. This is his third year. They're clearly trending downward. So there's going to be some sense of urgency from their coaching staff to try and get it figured out. I just don't know if that will resonate with the players. But if they do show up motivated on Saturday, they are very capable of winning this football game. The ECU is not at a point where it can take anybody lightly. I mean, the talent in the program has risen significantly, but it's not to the point where the Pirates can just show up and expect to win, especially in conference play. I mean, hell, we saw it against Charleston Southern. They almost blew it and lost that game. So it's just a case where the Pirates are not at a point where they can take anybody lightly. They've got to play their game each week if they want to get to uh, six wins and maybe beyond. Uh, although Mike Houston's very much focused on Temple right now. If you ask him about seven or eight wins, he's, he's going to say the focus is on Temple. Temple, Temple is the only game that matters, to quote Mike Houston. And it is. It is the only game that matters, and he has to say that because if he starts looking ahead, his players get that message, they start looking ahead. So, yeah, if you don't know what I'm referring to, check out the audio from Wednesday's post-practice press conference. Somebody asked Mike Houston – Everybody talks about getting six wins. What would it mean to get seven or eight? And Mike Hughes was like, bro, I'm just worried about getting number five. Like, can we just do that first? Uh, so that is uh, – that's the topic at hand this week. And, and number five would be a big win for this program. Let's face it, guys. This is a program that has been down, been out for multiple years now. And five wins doesn't seem like a lot to anybody outside of Greenville, North Carolina. But it gets you back to that point of where the program was in 2015, when it was in pretty good standing under Ruff McNeil, although some saw it was trending downward, the fact of the matter is five wins over these last five or six years would have been gravy compared to what we got. Three wins, four wins, three wins. I mean, it's just been a, a tough, tough road. And getting back to number five for the first time in six years would kind of get you back to that point you were at before the program was really shattered and uh, fractured and broken and torn down to pieces. And now it is just being rebuilt into that previous stage and you get to five and you can kind of breathe a little bit. Say, hey, we are making progress. You know, at the end of the day, it's all measured by wins and losses. We can talk about yards. We can talk about strength of opponent, all that sort of stuff. But at the end of the day, people look back and all they remember is how many wins you had and how many losses you had. Uh, that, that's the, that's the big deal. I mean, you can break down each individual game, but five years from now, most people are going to say, Hey, ECU in the third year of the Mike Houston era, they went this and this, they went six and six, made a bowl game. They went five and seven, missed a bowl game. Uh, so, I mean, those are the things that are mat That's going to matter. The wins matter at the end of the day. And the pirates have to find a way on Saturday to get number five. It would be such a big, uh, achievement for this program, and then, of course, then we can kind of turn our full attention to what win number six would be. But you got to get number five before you can get number six. So we'll get more into the Temple Owls and East Carolina Pirates, kind of the matchup on the field with our questions. Let's go ahead and dive into those on the Hoist of Colors message board. Kiss my cast. He's got a question about, are we giving Temple a little too much credit, he asked. I know we aren't supposed to overlook anybody. I'm not suggesting that, but should we – but we should really expect to win this game, right? Besides beating Memphis, they don't have any other results that impress me in the slightest. Yeah, I mean, 
giving Temple too much credit. I don't know if we're giving them that much credit. Like, I don't I don't expect Temple to come in here and win the game by seven to ten points. I think they are capable of winning the game. I mean, they showed that against Memphis. If you can beat Memphis, and Memphis is down this year, but they are still extremely talented. Anybody that watches American football, you can just watch Memphis, and they pass the eye test. If you can beat Memphis, you got you, you got some talent on your football team. So, you know, what, what seems to strike me from Temple is they've either been really good this year or really bad. I mean, there's been no in-between. So, clearly they have issues in that. When things start going against them, they really struggle mentally. And that's why if I'm ECU, I want to jump on them early, make them face some adversity because I don't think they'll respond very well. Now, if you let them hang around early, you let them gain confidence, especially with a young quarterback and Dewan Mathis and some of their talent, well, then you're going to have some issues because they're going to believe they can come in here and win this football game. And Temple historically has dominated ECU in the series. Now, this is not Matt Rule's Temple team. This is not even the first year of Rod Carey's Temple team. That entire defensive line has basically graduated or, or transferred out. They had multiple NFL guys on that line. But they still got some pieces. They got some guys at receiver that can really play. They got some guys on the edge defensively. They got some guys in the secondary who can play when they're healthy. So, I don't think we're giving Temple too much credit. I think the reality is they are talented enough to come in here and win the game if ECU continues to play like it did in the first half for South Florida where it turns the ball over multiple times, makes a bunch of boneheaded errors. Temple will come in here and win the football game if ECU plays like that for four quarters. I mean, that's just the reality. So um, I don't think we're giving them too much credit. I just think the American, even, even the worst teams in the American, are capable and have enough talent to beat you if you're not playing your best. Uh, Sharkbait17, he says, thoughts on Rod Carey, his schemes, and why his teams have struggled recently. Yeah, I mean, that's a, uh, that's a great question. I mean, Rod Carey, interestingly enough, took over. He was the O-line OC coach at uh, Northern Illinois, or Dave Doran. Took over that program after Doran left. Kept the, kept the success going good his first two years, and then started to trend downward heavily. Then got the Temple job. We have to remember the Temple wanted to hire Manny Diaz. Manny Diaz actually took the job and held it for about, what, a week or two and then ended up going to Miami. So uh, that was a tough break for Temple. Then they had to go for their backup option, option which was Rod Carey. And this is just me from the outside looking in. Rod Carey does not have much of a personality. Watching his press conferences and kind of hearing some things at Temple, I, I just don't think he – relates well with the players. Um, he seems to have some locker room issues, especially this last year. Look at all the guys who transferred out after this past season. Russo, all those defensive linemen who were, you know, NFL prospects, uh, a couple of linebackers. I mean, they lost so many key guys after last year, basically because the guys wanted to go transfer up, get a better shot at the NFL. They, they had no interest in staying there and building that program, which says a lot to me. You know, you're going to get a couple of those guys every offseason, but when you get the number that Temple did, that's a problem. Uh, his schemes, you know, a lot of their fans think his schemes are outdated. You know, they, they were successful when he had uh, Jordan Lynch at Northern Illinois. You had some, some really good teams then. Um, lots of run game with the quarterback, lots of uh, run game based off of that. And, you know, run heavy attack, a lot of play action. Like uh, the coaching staff has mentioned this week for ECU, they do huddle. They do take their time. They try and slow the game down, shorten possessions. But I think teams and defensive have been able to adjust to that, and he's still trying to figure out maybe how to have more consistent success with his schemes. Now, he's, he's playing a very young quarterback. Juwan Mathis is talented, but he's also extremely young. 
And so you've had some inconsistency with Mathis that is also affecting their offensive numbers. Um, as far as why his team has struggled recently, I think it's a combination of the previous two things, you know, locker room culture, uh, adjustments, and, and, the, and their talent has taken a hit. With some of the guys leaving, you know, looking at the recruits they brought in, I think they, their talent has taken a hit. Um, and, and it's been tough to continue that success that Matt Rule and Jeff Collins had. And last year, honestly, they had some terrible luck with COVID. They missed so many players due to injury and COVID. It was almost like you had to throw that that year out the window, but then it seemed to snowball into this year, and that's why we're seeing some of the struggles we are. So I think a combination of things. Another thing is Temple football is just not important in Philly unless they're winning. It's irrelevant. There's so many things going on in that city from the Philadelphia Eagles to other college teams. Uh, it's just it's, – it's tough there when you're not good. It's tough enough to fill the stadium when they are good, but when they're not good, they become even less of, of a priority. And uh, that's always going to be a problem with many teams in the Americans. So they're losing momentum fast. And the crazy thing is they signed him to, I think, a six-year deal originally that pays him $2 million a year. So he's only through year three after this year. If they really want to fire him, they got to come up with some money because he's still got three years and I think $6 million left on his contract. Uh, Straw369, are we sure this podcast is only about Temple, 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 LOL. That's pretty good, Straw. Yes, it is only about Temple. Uh, we will have a, uh, a Memphis preview, obviously, next week, and we'll talk about maybe some of the bowl possibilities and all that sort of stuff if ECU is able to beat Temple this weekend. But, uh, yeah, that was a, another memorable press conference moment. All right, Berg Pirate, as always, he's got multiple questions for us. He says, how does Temple's defense compare to other teams we've faced? So Temple is unique. Donnie Kirkpatrick said they run the most diverse, unique scheme ECU has seen this year. And, yeah, I mean, I, I agree. It's They do a lot of different stuff. Um, they are similar to South Florida in some ways. South Florida ran a three down front last week, and so ECU is familiar with that type of style. But they go to a lot of different looks. You know, they'll go from uh, three down and almost a four-man type look if they bring their outside linebacker up. So they do some different things. They do some blitzing. They mix coverages. But they've they've really struggled this year, honestly, in a little bit of everything. But to stop the run recently has been their main issue. And then they've given up some passing yards as well. They're basically almost their entire secondary was out versus, uh, versus UCF. And it showed in the stats. They were picked apart by Mikey Keene in that UCF offense. But uh, they're giving up 6.63 yards per pass. They're giving up 166.6 yards passing per game through the air, which doesn't sound like a much or doesn't sound like much, but they are giving up some some yards. Uh, most teams are getting ahead of them and then running the football, so they have given up 4.8 yards per carry, 218 yards on the ground per game, and they're giving up 36 points a game. So their defense has not been good. It, it hasn't been good. Um, it's been exposed at times. They do have some pieces on the back end, and again, like I said, they have – some good players on the edge, and that worries me if I'm ECU. We've talked about the struggles at offensive tackles, the injury there. So it, it's not a game where ECU is going to be able to drop back and throw it 55 times and have success because they got some pass rushers. ECU's got to be able to run the football, and if they can do that, I, I think they'll really have a lot of success on Saturday against the Owls. Uh, number two, Berg asks, how much will we blitz Devon Mathis? I think a good amount. I think a good amount. You know, look at the numbers from Pro Football Focus. He's struggled overall. But he's really struggled against the Blitz. He's uh, grading out well below average against the Blitz. He's turned it over a couple times. Seems to struggle under pressure for sure. 
obviously, if you can get pressure with four guys, you, you roll with that as much as possible. But Temple has a pretty good offensive line. Their offensive tackles grayed out extremely well. Their interior offensive line does not grade out so well. So I wonder how much ECU will try and blitz the A-gap, blitz up the middle, put some pressure on those guys, make the backs, pick up the blitz, that sort of stuff. But Mathis does not grade out well against the blitz. Hopefully ECU can get a couple turnovers in that phase on Saturday. Number three from Berg Pirate, ECU blows out Temple if this happens, question mark. Uh, ECU blows out Temple if they start the first quarter fast and don't turn the ball over. If they win the turnover battle, in my opinion, They've got enough talent to go out there and execute and win this game by a couple of touchdowns. Uh, they got to start fast. Temple has really struggled this year in the first quarter. I think they've only scored one first quarter touchdown. I was reading earlier this week. I, I seen if I can pull up the stats real quick. Um, but yeah, I mean that's been a that's been a major issue for them. Slow starts, which has led to some blowouts. Uh, so I think if ECU continues that trend, if they start fast and they don't turn the ball over like they had the last few weeks. I think they'll win this football game comfortably. Uh, Tarbera Bill says, well, after your response to my question last week, I don't know if I should ask the question. Why are you so mean? Come on, Bill. It's, it's something personal, my friend. Uh, you know, I love you, man. Appreciate all your work on the site as a mod. Uh, and bring the questions. Bring the questions always. Uh, ECU grad 04, what are the rumors or thoughts from Temple administration on the new AAC lineup? Well, I don't, I'll be honest, I don't have uh, many sources on the Temple administration. I do know just from talking with the, <clears throat> the other Temple writers and getting their feedback that uh, they really feel like they're on an island up there now, kind of like ECU probably does in, in North Carolina, but at least the Pirates have Charlotte. But who does Temple have? I mean, at this point, the closest school to Temple is probably ECU, unless you count Navy, of course, but that's for football only, so – I just think it's, uh, you know, a lot of their fans have honestly talked about even going back to the A-10, and I don't know what their football program would do, but, you know, pulling maybe a, a UConn-type move. They are more of a basketball school traditionally. They're one of the most winningest programs in, in NCAA history in basketball, and they've kind of fallen off a little bit in hoops recently um, since the retirement of Fran Dumphy and, and, you know, the new hire there, Aaron McKee, trying to get it going. But I think that they are – much like ECU, at the end of the day, you're a remaining member, so you're going to get the full $7 million annually from the TV contract. And at the end of the day, that's what the most important thing is. How much money are you bringing in? And if it's substantially more than you would get in a different conference or you would get in a different situation, then you take the money. That's At the end of the day, that's what this is all about. You take the money. Even though you don't love the lineup, you know, I've said it multiple times now, ECU – Football-wise, would be a better fit in the Sun Belt with ODU, James Madison, App State, all these regional schools, Coastal Carolina compared to the American. But those teams are making five hundred thousand to a million dollars annually versus seven million. That means it takes seven years just to to make up the ground on what ECU is making in terms of TV money. If you're a Sun Belt team, that's not insignificant. That is a crucial number. So. You know, Temple, much like ECU, probably doesn't love some of the moves. Um, it's not a great fit. You know, ECU and Temple don't need to be in a conference with four or five Texas teams and teams in Oklahoma and whatnot. But here we are. College football is dumb. It's getting dumber. And it's just the way it's going. And at the end of the day, if you're making decent TV money, you live with the dumbness. 
I guess is the way to say it. And you just move on and uh, you take the checks as they come and you try to win football games. So I, I doubt that Temple's thrilled with it, but they probably are still liking the TV contract. And, and, and in that realm, you, you do have to just live with it. But I do know that, yeah, they aren't thrilled with it. Uh, when is the municipal bond for Town Bank Tower scheduled to be paid off and how far ahead behind are we that on the original schedule? Uh, great question. Um, I don't know. I'll try and figure that out. ECU grad 04. You always bring some, some great questions, man. Uh, kudos to you. I don't know the answer to that, and that's something I'll have to, to contact East Carolina um, Athletics about and try to figure out. That's something that they don't – didn't really give out that info uh, publicly, so I'll have to contact some people and try and figure out stuff behind the scenes. But uh, thanks for that question. That's a good one. Uh, attendance prediction from Yakin. Uh, so earlier this week, I was texting with some people, and they were saying you know low 30s to mid 30s, kind of like two-lane crowd in that 34, 35 range. But now with this weather, not loving it. Not loving it at all. So I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with the low 30s, even if the rain holds off. I've seen the threat of rain really kill ECU crowds in the past. But I'm gonna say I'm gonna say 32,000 will be your attendance for Saturday. If it ends up holding off and it ends up being a nice day, maybe 35,000. Student attendance will affect the uh, <clears throat> the bottom line number, and so hopefully they show up, and then also hopefully it ends up being a good day and you get some walkups. But uh. But, yeah, the weather really putting a damper on things. Uh, St. Pete Pirate, he asks, what do you think are the most and least favorable position and or man matchups for ECU? If you have thoughts on either side of the ball, I would love to hear them. Yeah, so we, we touched on this earlier. You know, one of the things I really like about this matchup for ECU is the ability to run the football. Temple has not stopped the run well at all this year. ECU has been hit or miss with the running game. But when they face teams that do struggle to run the football, the offensive line has been good, and it's been good enough to turn out some yardage in a pretty big way. So, obviously, Temple's going to head into this game looking to stop the run. And so you might see ECU throw the ball a bit early to back them off. But I think if ECU can get to the point where they're throwing it and running it with good success and keeping Temple from bringing seven in the box, then I think you're going to see a consistently strong running game on Saturday. I think it could be a big day for Keaton Mitchell and Rajay Harris. Um, they may have to hit some, some passes early to make them, you know, move some of those five defensive backs back and commit them to pass coverage more than run stopping. But, I mean, look, South Florida ran for 421 yards against these guys. I mean, they knew the run was coming and they still could not stop it against the Bulls. So we'll see what happens in that regard. But I do expect ECU to have success in the running game especially with that three-man front. I think they can do some things to, to open up some lanes. Um, with, the, with, with, with the rest of the game, you know, it's important for ECU to run the football well because I think that will slow down Temple's pass rush. And we talked about it earlier, but I think Temple's got some very good edge rushers. they got a Wake Forest transfer, uh, Walker, who's good. they got a couple other guys who are young and talented. And so they can get after the passer. If you get in third and long, uh, right now, with ECU's tackle situation, that is not a beneficial spot to be in. And last week, Temple was missing four starters in the secondary. So I don't know what their status is for this weekend. For example, I know, um, you know, that one of their best safeties, Amir Tyler, who's leading their team tacklers, tackles, did not play against uh, UCF. And it really seemed to show. Keyshawn Paul was another corner who missed the UCF game. So they've had some guys really banged up on the back end. So even if they're back, you wonder how healthy they'll be 
for this game. Uh, when ECU's defense is on the field, very interested to see how they approach stopping Temple. I mean, this is a run-heavy team, but they've got they've got receivers outside that can that can beat you deep. I mean, Jaden Blue is kind of like C.J. Johnson. That he had a very good start to his career, has kind of faded since then, but is capable of making big plays. Um, and then you also got a guy, Randall Jones, who's a big play threat who just came back from injury. Then you got another guy, um, I can't think of his name, number ten, uh, who who really who really has played well as far as catching the football. Uh, so you got three legitimate receivers for the Owls. Jose Barbone is his name, and so you got three legitimate receivers, but you got an inconsistent quarterback, and you got a pretty strong running game. They got three running backs over two hundred ten pounds who pound the football. So they'll try to do that. They got a good offensive line, especially on the edge at tackle. They're very good at tackle. So I do think ECU will try and exploit the middle of the defense, maybe blitz quite a bit up the middle, put those backs in pass pro, see how they handle that. And if Dewan Mathis, you know, he's a good enough athlete to where if he gets on the edge and ECU can't force him into third and long, it's going to be tougher to get off the field because if they stay in third and short with their quarterback run game, with their ability at receiver, then it becomes that much tougher to get them off the field. But they're only converting about 30 32% of the third downs right now. So they've struggled in those situations. So hopefully the Pirates can put them on their heels, get some stops on first and second down, and put them into third and long to make life difficult. Uh, Buckwild, 17. Oh, he's just giving me some tips on how to fix my voice, so I'll skip that one. Uh, Jack's Pirate asks, will we have two and a half inches of rain by halftime? I mean, with the forecast looking how it is, I would say that it's a possibility, but two and a half inches of rain is a lot. I'm going to say no, because I feel like every time the weather people have predicted heavy rainfall or a certain amount of rainfall, it it doesn't end up happening. So I'm, I'm saying I'm going on the optimistic side here, that since we're close enough to kick off, you know, I, I believe that the rain will hold off a little bit and I'm not a weatherman. I'm not a meteorologist, so I'm just spitting in the dark here, but I think that it'll end up being a nicer day than the forecast projects. I have gone on the optimistic side. Stick with me folks. Um, because I want to see a good crowd. I want to see what pirate nation does when this team gets win number five gets over 500 and get, I just want to see this team get the crowd it deserves. And I hate that the rain is probably going to affect that. But, uh, yeah, I don't know about the two and a half inches of rain. I'm going to say no, but, hell, if the, if the forecast ends up coming true, it's a very real possibility. All right, Mike in OKI, he's got, uh, he's got a couple of questions. Well, he's just got a question about Temple's on-campus stadium. Uh, will, Temple, will Temple ever build their on-campus stadium? Seems like Philly could care less. Do they really need one? I think every team needs an on-campus stadium in all reality. Uh, I just think it adds so much more to the university. You know, if you're a student and you really want to drive across town or, or walk a certain amount of miles to your non-on-campus stadium, do you really want to go sit in a 70,000-seat stadium where only three sections are full? It takes away from the game day atmosphere. You know, we've been to Lincoln Financial Field. We've been to um, – you know, the, the South Florida Stadium, also, you know, Raymond James Stadium, the home of the Tampa Bay Bucks. And it just, it's just not fun, man. Like, even when South Florida has 30,000 people, it feels like nobody's at the game because the stadium's so big. Uh, and you just got those tarps everywhere. Like, it's just not a good look. And uh, I think both South Florida and Temple need an on campus stadium. 
much like Tulane needed an on-campus stadium. They got one. I think it's helped their recruiting to help their football program a lot. It's perfect for them. You know, it's not anything great, but it is. Uh, it was a major step in the right direction. And so for Temple, I think one day they – I think they need one. I don't know if they'll get one one day. I don't know enough about the Philly politics or the Temple politics. I, I feel like there's been very little discussion about that just from when I've been up there. You know, every time I go to South Florida, there's a decent amount of discussion about, hey, we're working on an on-campus stadium. We're going to do this to do that. Here's where we're going to put it, et cetera. But I feel like Temple, there's been very little discussion about that. Um, and so, you know, I just looked it up now. Temple will continue to play football games at Lincoln Financial Field through the 2024 season. The university reached an agreement with the Eagles, putting its plans for an on-campus stadium on hold for the foreseeable future. So that was published in 2020. Again, Temple doesn't seem like an on-campus stadium uh, is – is a huge deal right now. And there's even an article from 2019 that says, no matter how many games it wins, Temple shouldn't build a football stadium, which is interesting. So, I mean, you got writers writing about how Temple doesn't need to build a football stadium. So, I don't know. That's a weird deal. I always say that these football programs in the major metro areas, especially with, uh, with pro teams, like it helps them from a recruiting standpoint, but it, in terms of ticket sales and school pride and passion, it's just missing. And so that's why I always take a game day at East Carolina where ECU is the main thing in town. ECU is Greenville, North Carolina. Uh, whereas Temple falls eighth, ninth, tenth on the list in terms of priority in its own city. So uh, that's the good and bad with situations like that. I mean, there are obviously positives. You know, you can recruit. A major area. You don't have to drive too far to find talent. You can also sell that you play in an NFL stadium. So there's a big deal. But at the end of the day, there's just nothing like having an on-campus stadium, the school, your students, your fans. Just add so much more to the atmosphere. So hopefully one day if ECU continues to stay in this conference with the Temple Owls that, the, that they can get that on-campus stadium. All right, that'll do it for your questions. I'll give my prediction. We'll get out of here uh, as we're closing in on 24 hours to kick off. So, I again, I think this game is closer than so many people think. And I do see a scenario where ECU wins comfortably. But I think Temple is going to show up ready to play. You know, last week against UCF, they, they've been blown out a lot this year. I mean, they're due for at least a decent showing, a competitive showing. If they come in here and just go through the motions, they will get blown out. But I'm expecting a bounce back of some sort from Temple. Um but at the end of the day, I think East Carolina is too good. I think they're playing for too much. So I, I think the Pirates lead throughout. Temple keeps it close, and then ECU gets a touchdown late uh, to win it 35-24. They win it by two scores. I think Keaton Mitchell has a big run for the first time in a while. He goes over 100 yards and closes in on 1,000 yards. And I think Holton Anders has another good game. And also defensively, I'm going with a pick from Xavier Smith is my bold prediction. I'm going to say linebacker Xavier Smith gets a pick, and the Pirates win it 35-24. to 24. All right, that'll do it for the Hoist the Colors podcast. Again, thank you guys for sticking with us as we work out these audio issues, also for dealing with my somewhat probably nasally voice. We'll be back with you after the game to recap what went down and to see if ECU got win number five on the 2021 season. You've been listening to the Hoist the Colors podcast.
Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. 